Welcome into another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. It's Wednesday, February 10th, 2021. Yesterday at work, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that I guess we're going into a holiday weekend. One of my co-workers asked me what I had planned for the holidays, and I feel like that's how I find out about these holidays, like President's Day and Memorial Day and Labor Day. It's like I know that these holidays are coming around this time of year, but then they just kind of sneak up. And it's always just like, oh, hell yeah, dude, three-day weekend. I remember as a kid, they were like three-day weekends like were pretty cool, but it just didn't feel as special as when they are as an adult, just knowing that it's Sunday. And Sunday's just like weird double-edged sword where you're just enjoying the day off and it's just awesome and especially during football season you're eating shitty food and enjoying football but at the same time you know that it's monday that sneaky bitch is going to sneak up on you but you know three-day weekend i'm super pumped but i do find it pretty annoying that the three-day weekend comes a week later i really feel like and whenever i talk to people and i bring this up i feel like president's day needs to be bumped a week forward and have it happen the monday after the super bowl you know that's the day i feel like most americans really need it you know our tummies are a little upset some people are hungover. some people are tired some people are tired from celebrating all night long some people are depressed because their team didn't win but at the end of the day i think we all deserve a break the day after the super bowl so there's nothing more american than football there's nothing more american than the super bowl and i feel like the presidents abraham lincoln George Washington, Barack Obama, every president that we've ever had, I think would be in favor of the American people being able to take a day off after watching football while also celebrating the presidents. So I elect that President's Day really needs to be moved forward to the day after the Super Bowl because, you know, hey, I'm not going to complain about a three day weekend, but we can make it that much better. However, today I wasn't coming on here just to bitch about my holiday being not on the Monday of my choosing, but I wanted to come here and talk about Francis Ngannou. He was on Joe Rogan's podcast yesterday, and ever since Joe Rogan actually switched his podcast to being exclusively on Spotify, I feel like I've been listening to it less and less just because I don't use Spotify very much. I usually listen to all my podcasts through Apple Podcasts or catching clips on YouTube. So I do appreciate that he puts his clips on YouTube, and that's actually how I found out that Francis Ngannou was on. He's someone that I wanted to hear more about his story because, you know, he immigrated from Cameroon to France and to the USA, and it's a very interesting story. I'm only about an hour deep into it because it's about like a three and a half hour podcast. So, you know, it's one of those Joe Rogan podcasts that can just go along. And I mean, from the one experience I've had podcasting with a friend, I think that time moves exponentially faster when you're just you're discussing on a microphone. And sometimes I'm even surprised when I'm in here just in my office, just chit-chatting away basically to myself. And the next thing I know, I'm like, holy shit, I came up on a half an hour. But, you know, I'm like an hour into the podcast, but it's, it's a pretty amazing story to see like how far Francis has come. Because when he came into the UFC, it was only after two years, it was two years from the beginning of his MMA training. So it's just, and he's learned it so quick. And then he was fighting for the title, I think a year and a half after that. But before I go into like his fighting pedigree and what's up next for Francis Ngannou, I just want to highlight some of his story. So he grew up in Cameroon, and when he was a kid, 
during his free time. So it's like he'd go to school, but basically he was saying from the ages of 10 to 17 that when he wasn't in school, so like on weekends and on holidays and stuff when he wasn't in school, he'd be working in the sand mines, like, you know, collecting sand and just moving rocks and stuff. And I just, I've heard the story before, but he got into more detail about like how he got into it because I guess that when he would get most of his hours and a lot of the time he would be able to work is since where Cameroon is, it's in like the tropical zone. So I guess there's two seasons, just dry and wet. And I guess during the wet season, that's when most like students and, and kids in his area and his village would go on holiday just because it's raining all the time. So they're trying to get the hell out of the rainy area. And a lot of the adults don't want to work during the rainy season because they don't want to be working when it's raining. So he was saying that like him and his friends, you know, from 10 to 17, that's when they would get a lot of their hours working in the sand mines because that's when they can get shifts there because a lot of the adults didn't want to do that shit. So he was saying that like it was so cold and they would have to be be constantly moving just to stay warm and that he was saying that his bosses would like it because them moving so fast would you know keep them more productive and it's just and he said he'd come home just completely like ice cold just from being working in the rain all the time and you know and then eventually you know he'd been growing up boxing and stuff that was some one of the things he did for recreation and i think it's around the age of 22 that he finally decided that you know he had a dream that he wanted to get out of cameroon he was saying that he basically had never left this triangle in cameroon where it's like it was his village it was the cameroon capital and the economic capital so like those three cities he had never really left that area and he just had a dream that he was just going to get out he didn't know where he was going to go but you know he knew that he wanted to do something with boxing or fighting and i feel like it was really inspirational because he's talking about like you know, it's never too late to start your dream. Because even at 22, everyone that was around him was telling him he was too old and that it was crazy and that, like, has he ever seen anyone around him be rich off of that? But he just knew that that's his dream and that's, like, he needed to follow that and that's what he wanted to pursue. And it's very admirable. And that's one of the reasons why even now after he's successful here in America, he likes to keep coming back to Cameroon and spending a week there because... He wants he likes being an inspiration to those around him because he'll talk he'll go back to the old sand mine that he used to work at and some of the same people that he used to work there are still working there and they'll talk to Francis and say wow like the fact that you were able to achieve your dream which was a crazy dream like a dream that seems impossible makes me feel like I can accomplish my dream you know it's people like Francis Ngannou that who follow their dream and you know eventually reach success that give inspiration for you know like me wanting to start this podcast you know i have plenty of dreams and i've succeeded in getting a lot of them i have a, an amazing wife i have an amazing family an amazing son it just I, I love my career but i also know that when I think of like my absolute dream, it would be to be able to make a living just talking into this microphone and being able to talk to interesting people and talk about things that I find interesting, whether it be sports or you know, UFC or, or wrestling or movies or just anything that I think is interesting. You know, that's what like one of my dreams and like seeing people being able to follow theirs and accomplishment accomplish it 
inspires me to keep going and wanted or even to just start this so i think it's really cool that he that's one of the things he prides being able to do is going back to his hometown and inspire you know francis is really i think someone that is almost is perfect for the ufc you know when you think about in combat sports and fighting sports some of the most popular and polarizing fighters over the past 50 60 years you know, our heavyweight fighters, you know, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson. Some of my earliest memories are of watching fighting in general is going to my Mame and Pepe's house. And that's my grandma and grandpa. We would, you know, boxing. And Mike Tyson was a big thing. Like, I remember, I still remember Tyson and Holyfield too. And I remember how upset everyone in the living room was when the fight ended, like right off the bat with Tyson trying to bite Holyfield's ear off, you know, and... But with because with heavyweights in combat sports, it, I think it really captures the public's imagination that, you know, when you're the heavyweight champion of the world, whether it be in boxing or in UFC, you're considered the baddest man on the planet. And that's what's cool about Francis Ngannou. When you see this guy, he's six foot four. He's just sculpted like a gladiator. It looks like you couldn't even have chiseled him from you could have chiseled him from stone and not even built like a perfect guy. And he's charismatic he just looks cool and just like with mike tyson and exciting heavyweights he's got a list of just quick knockouts and exciting fights and he's someone that i think that when you see him fighting or he's you see that francis and on the card you're going to order that fight so when he showed up to the ufc he only had six fights under his belt and those were in like paris and bahrain and the thing in europe at the time is that MMA rules didn't allow for grounded pounds. So Francis Ngannou's career was MMA that was fought with either stand-up or when they got to the ground, it was just grappling with no striking. So when he got to the UFC, he felt like it was really different. He didn't know any of the rules. But at at the end of the day, it's just dudes in their underwear getting in a cage and fist fighting. And that's something that Francis Ngannou obviously understood it's like it seems like it's just in his dna i mean and when you look at this guy how i mentioned he's just jacked and chiseled joe rogan was mentioning through his first couple fights that francis and hadn't even lifted a weight like like he he didn't even start lifting weights until recently in his career so this is just a guy that's just a genetic freak that is just built like this from just carrying rocks and sand and just incredible genetics but so he already had a title fight with Stipe Miocic and what led him to that title fight was actually in a really impressive string of victories and I normally don't write down notes but it was just an impressive resume and I want to be able to kind of not just say oh he had four quick knockouts I want to be able to say so like the first two names I'm going to mention you probably aren't familiar with is this guy Bojan Mihajlovic it was a round one knockout minute 34 his next fight against Anthony Hamilton round one a minute 57 knockout next fight Andre Arlovsky that's a big name from the past round one knockout a minute 32 his next name Alistair Overeem in December of 2017, round one knockout, a minute 42. That's one, if you can type in YouTube, look up Francis Ngannou and Overeem. It might be, when you put up Francis Ngannou, Overeem's probably one of the things that pops up in the YouTube because his knockout was incredible. I mean, you left, you saw Overeem's soul leave his body. It was one of those, like, Ngannou just hit him, and it was like, 
Timber Overeem just fell down. You can see he was knocked out on the, all the way down. So that got him his title shot like pretty clean after. But the problem is that when he ran into Stipe Miocic, who I think is the greatest heavyweight of all time, I mean, it would have been incredible to see Stipe fight Cain Velasquez in his prime. But you know what? That's another conversation for another day. But Stipe is someone who's a gold glove boxing guy. He knows how to wrestle, and he's tough as shit. Because when Francis Ngannou fought him, he hit him with some hammers. And as I mentioned, a lot of these guys, no one in the UFC can really handle it, and they go down in the first round. But Stipe was able to weather the storm. This guy is tough as fuck. He's from Cleveland. He's a Rust Belt kind of guy, and he was able to handle that first round. And then for the rest of the four rounds, he was just taking Francis down dragged him into deep waters. Francis looked gas. He didn't know what to do. And he just got beat up for the rest of the fight. And, you know, Stipe, I think, really taught him a lesson. And Francis even mentioned that, that before that fight, he hadn't even anticipated, like, going three rounds or even going five rounds because up until that point, he never really had to envision that. He's just been knocking guys out. So he definitely learned a lesson there. He learned that he's going to have to condition for 25 minutes because you never know, especially when you're fighting for titles and you're fighting the upper echelon of fighters, even in the heavyweight division, there's times that it's going to go 25 minutes and you need to be able to have that gas tank to do that. So, and, you know, and it's like his next fight, it was after that title fight, you felt like it was one of the most exciting, you know, fighters you could stick up to again. It was Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. It was so, like, I remember being so pumped for that because it was just two heavyweights. You knew, like, one of these guys is going to knock each other out in the first couple minutes. There's no way it's going to pass around. And it ended up being probably the most disappointing fight, at least in recent memory for me, probably going back to Anderson Silva and Damian Maya when they just did nothing for the whole title fight. And it was just, it was frustrating. One of the reasons why I really dislike Anderson Silva for the most part. Again, conversation for another day. But even Francis says after that fight, you know, he lost the fight by decision. But let's be real. I think both of those guys should have lost that fight because neither of them did anything. Both of them looked scared of each other's power. And I get it. I'm not going to say that I wouldn't be like, dude, those guys would eat me for breakfast. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're heavyweight. There were two guys that just looked like they're afraid to pull the trigger. And the judges just gave it to Derek Lewis. But since that lackluster performance, listen to this. He knocked out Curtis Blades, who's arguably going to be the number one contender if he can get through his next fight. He knocked him out in the first round in 45 seconds. His next fight was against Cain Velasquez, arguably one of the best heavyweights of all time. Sent him into retirement with a 29-second knockout. His next fight against Junior Dos Santos, another arguably top five heavyweight of all time. Knocked him out in round one with a minute and 11 seconds. And then his next fight was against Jarzinho Rosenstrike, and he gave him his first knockout in 20 seconds. So it's like his last four fights, they're all knockouts. None of them have gone past 90 seconds long. He's must-see TV. When Francis Ngannou is fighting, you've got to watch it. He's going to be fighting... A rematch against Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title at UFC 260 on March 27th. Put that on your calendar. That's going to be that's going to be a pay per view that's worth ordering, worth watching. And you know, I mean, I'm definitely more excited for that pay per view 
as opposed to the upcoming pay-per-view that's this weekend, UFC 258. But I'll talk about that probably in the next day or two. So, yeah, I the, the Francis Ngannou podcast with Joe Rogan has been very insightful. It's been very interesting. If you want to learn, if you want to just hear an amazing story, I mean, I haven't even told you about, like, he, he's starting to get into his immigration process of how to out of Cameroon, and that's just... That's just amazing. You should go listen to it. I don't want to spoil any of it because it's such a good story, but it kind of really almost like tells you. I remember like Joey Diaz on the Joe Rogan podcast always is like that immigrant mentality. And like when you hear Francis Ngannou's story, it's like, holy shit, dude. Like if that's like immigrant mentality, like, dude, no wonder this guy literally just jumped into the world of MMA and has basically reached the top of the mountain and he's one more fight away from being, you know, having that gold strap around his waist. So Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic too, definitely pumped for that. Going to be talking about that in the upcoming months. Before I get out of here, there was an article I read today on Stephen Curry before I, you know, while I was drinking my coffee and getting ready for today's podcast. So it was, a, it was an article on Bleacher Report from Andy Bailey and it was basically kind of discussing how Stephen Curry is almost like on the this is kind of almost like a like oh you must have forgot season because for a lot of people it's like forget that Stephen Curry really changed the game and he was like you know like it was quoted as a paradigm moving superstar and what I mean by that is someone who just really changed how the game is played because if you look back to I think it was like 2014 the number of three-pointers that teams were shooting was like in the low 20%. And nowadays, it's like upwards of 30 to 40% three-point shooting. You know, Stephen Curry really kind of showed teams the importance of, you know, just the efficiency of the three-point shooting. You know, it was pretty, if in a way, the way that the game is kind of played now and the way that the Warriors kind of implemented, it kind of reminds me of how I would kind of play NBA 2K back in like, back in high school because I remember in 2k7 for example I remember if I had like a fantasy draft I would always draft like Dirk Nowitzki because he could shoot three-pointers Rashard Lewis because he was a small forward who could shoot three-pointers Richard Hamilton because he was just a sniper from three-point and then I'd get like another point guard that could shoot threes and it was just like that's what I would do I'd almost play like the Warriors because like dude if I'm just jacking up threes all game long they other teams have no chance so Stephen Curry I feel like is really kind of like the player that kind of has kind of pushed that revolution towards that and it's like and he's also a very important player just for even kids growing up with basketball because you figure like with Michael Jordan you're watching it's like and Kobe Bryant these guys could dunk and do flashy things but you know as a five foot eight white kid I can tell you that like I'm not dunking unless I'm putting this the rim down to like eight feet maybe nine feet on a good day but let's be real I'm not dunking on a nine foot rim Stephen Curry, with the way he plays basketball and the way he can jack up from three-point from half-court and be so quick off the ball and be able to hit these step-back shooters, it's something that a player from any size can emulate and really give almost hope that they can be successful in basketball. You know, not everyone's going to be six foot eight, six foot nine like LeBron or seven feet and be able to dominate the paint, but being able to watch Stephen Curry and the way he plays you know, it really is shifted the way that people see basketball and expect how basketball is to be played. You know, and I think what he was kind of the 
kind of the main point of the article is that you know over the past few years people kind of have almost kind of forgot that how good Stephen Curry has been because in that um in their season where they went seven where they won 73 games you know he had the best the best plus minus of any player in any NBA history but from that point on there's a lot of things that happened so they ended up not winning the NBA title that season. They blew a 3-1 series lead. So that brought a lot of people questioning, you know, Stephen Curry's killer instinct, whether he had the durability to last a full season because he was kind of breaking down towards the end. And then after that season, they brought in Kevin Durant. And even though the Warriors were extremely successful, arguably the best NBA 2K team I've ever played, I still haven't figured out a way to beat the Kevin Durant Golden State Warriors team. But even though any analyst that was talking about it or any NBA guy you would hear talk about the Golden State Warriors, they would still say that Stephen Curry, it was still Stephen Curry's team. But it's hard to argue when there's a lineup and a team that has Kevin Durant and not just kind of figure that just by osmosis, all of a sudden Kevin Durant is now the guy on the team. So when Kevin Durant left for the Nets, the 2019-2020 season seemed like it was going to be a big prove-it year for Stephen Curry, especially Klay Thompson, who was going to be coming back from, you know, he had, from his injury from the NBA Finals the year before. But Stephen Curry never really got a chance to do that. He broke his hand five games into the season, so he sat out that whole season. And with this year, with all respect to Kelly Oubre and and Wiseman and Andrew Wiggins, these guys are good guys, but teams can really focus in on Steph Curry and he's just killing it this year. He's shooting almost 30% or he's almost getting 30 points from the field. He's a 65.6 true shooting percentage, which is insane. So I feel like Stephen Curry is really cementing that he's, you know, a generational point guard. There's tons of really good point guards in the league, you know, like Damian Lillard and, and Chris Paul. And honestly, the list goes on and on. And I know I'm just like, I'm leaving so many off. But Stephen Curry showing that he really is special. And this, you know, with any cast of characters, you know, he's able to kind of elevate them. Golden State, which wasn't expected to do much this year, especially when Klay Thompson was out and he's going to miss the rest of the season. A lot of people thought they weren't going to be able to really compete in the West, but, you know, Stephens Curry's got them above 500. They're looking competitive, and I'm, in, you know, I'm, I'm really impressed, always been impressed, and I feel like he's already adding to a legacy that I feel like was already etched in stone, but, yeah, Stephen Curry continues to, you know, I wouldn't say surprise, but just continues to amaze, and I felt like it was worth bringing up on the show today. So... For, with that, I appreciate everyone that's taken a listen. I appreciate everyone that's rated the show on Apple Podcasts. It does; it's a it's a huge ego boost, and it makes me feel good. And you know, I really appreciate it. So until next time, I'm Dean Ryan. It's been a Cali Green Monster Show. Peace.